Hello Blazers, welcome to episode 35 of UAB Green and Told, original air date Monday, December 21st, 2020. Through this podcast, we are able to share stories from members of the UAB community. I'm Greg Berry, Assistant Director in the UAB Office of Alumni Affairs. Today we are joined by Dr. Henry Panyon, the University Professor of Music and an award-winning musician. Way back when, Henry started composing pop music for his alma mater's marching band, but as he will share, it didn't necessarily mean it'd be played. So on the side, I started doing just a few little arrangements, just hoping that maybe on a Monday on an off day, I could get the band to read them. And I remember asking one of the band directors if they would read my score, and of course they said no. Plus, Dr. Panion will reveal how one phone call from an icon of the music industry opened doors like you wouldn't believe. And the secretary calls over, she said, you just got a phone call from Stevie Wonder. And he said he'd call you back. I said, come on, <laughs> don't play with me. And since he's worked with names like Aretha, Carrie Underwood, and Shaka Khan, just who is his favorite to collaborate with? I've never been asked that. Um, it's really, really very hard. Uh, I have favorites for different reasons. Dr. Henry Panyon is a legend. He's worked with artists in all genres, names like Aretha Franklin, the Blind Boys of Alabama, Chet Aikens, and Stevie Wonder. Henry's experiences have taken him around the world, but his start was here in Birmingham as a kid being introduced to music. I was introduced to music early on, as most young people are, uh, or a lot of young people are. And uh, it was a kind of thing where I was taking piano lessons, and also uh, in band. Uh, I had a really, really good band director, and that kind of set me on my path. I've always loved music, but really, it wasn't until then that I began to really love music. So when you were in middle school, going into high school, who were your influences? Who did you like listening to? I think that my tastes were very and are very eclectic. So been in band, I just love a lot of horns and and, and, and and percussion. So, and I was really big into groups like Earth, Wind & Fire by the time I got, you know, to know who they was in the early seventies. But, um, and that has been a big influence of mine. Um, but then I'd also like listening to soundtracks like The Wizard of Oz or the, the sound of music, you know, uh, and I like to joke around and say that, uh, you know, I'd be hanging with my buddies listening to one thing and come in the house with my sister listening to something else, you know, I would never let them know I'm listening to the sound of music at that age, you know, but no, just really, really love a lot uh, of music and I always have. So I think that's kind of been uh, my, my key, I guess it, as it were. You started out with piano, but a lot of people in band, especially with when they're younger, kind of develop a different instrument. They go either from piano to percussion, piano to horns. What did you wind up playing? Yeah, my instrument, primary instrument is trombone. So I actually was given a trombone early, early. And in fact, I was kind of the band's mascot. I had a little uniform with a trombone. I couldn't play even in kindergarten. And I would ride on the back of the car and parade uh, behind the band, actually, as a band mascot, as it were, or something. Uh, but no, but it wasn't really until uh, high school that 
I began to develop, let's just say, a skill set to, to be able to play band and up uh, to play trombone. And um, but then being heavily influenced by things I heard, like the group Chicago, their horn section, Earth, Wind, and Fire, their horn section, Tower Power, their horn section, uh, marching bands, big horn sections, uh, drum corps, you know, and just really influenced by jazz horn, big band jazz sounds with horns, you know. So everything really was about horns. And I really thought I wanted to be a band director, to tell you the truth, at that point, because I had such a great band director uh, in middle school and high school. So that that really made the difference uh, uh, for me. You start out with piano, you play trombone through high school. Were those the only two instruments that you dabbled in? Uh, in high school, for sure. But by the time I got to college, I took lessons on a number of different instruments. Okay. Uh, some that were required and some just because I really wanted to to develop a proficiency, you know, if you can call it that, on those instruments. Really just kind of to know how they, uh, the mechanics of how they worked. So I took private lessons on flute in college so that I could even do juries and bassoon. I remember taking private lessons on bassoon and then uh, uh, took piano throughout and just, just kind of to learn those instruments. And then even there are other classes where you're introduced to a bunch of different class, uh, instruments uh, kind of a, uh, in an abbreviated fashion, just kind of to really learn them. And these are called methods classes. And I've always just been a, a, a sponge like that. And that really has made the difference really in what I do as an arranger or conductor or uh, composer. Let's talk a little bit about that aspect of Dr. Panyon. What got you into arranging and composing work? I went to Alabama A&M for, uh, for uh, undergrad. And that's a show band. And so typically, you know, with show bands, it's all about what's on the charts. Uh, people don't care what the football score is. As long as that band is sharp at halftime, uh, it's a whole different experience. And I hadn't had that until going to college. But every show typically was featured with uh, young top 40, what's on the charts, new arrangements every week that the band had to learn. So my job as a music major uh, was to copy the parts. So on Mondays, we would get together and copy the parts. Okay. Tuesday, the new music was passed out to the band. And as I'm copying the parts by hand, not by computer, not by hand, I'm thinking that, boy, I really could... I might contrive this. So on the side, I start doing just a few little arrangements, just hoping that maybe on a Monday or on an off day, I could get the band to read them. And I remember asking one of the band directors if they would read my score. And of course they said, no. And then, and I was drum major. Uh, but then the next year, the senior band director, and there were three, the senior band director left to, to complete his doctorate. And I had an opportunity on an off day, on a Monday, to let them, the band, just play my arrangements. That's, and I, you know, of course, I begged the band, the band directors about this time. They played them. It was such a hit. And what it was, I had done this arrangement of Earth, Wind, and Fires in the Stone. They played it, but then they programmed it the next year. Wow. So, um, and then I was head drum major, and to be in, you know, at the classic the Magic City Classic, as head drum major, 
stadium field and you were out there conducting your arrangement of earth, wind, and fires in the stone, I thought I had died and gone to heaven. And as a result of that, I said, you know, I had done band and I said, I want to go to graduate school for arranging and composition. You mentioned in, in middle school, high school, you kind of want to be a band director at the time. That kind of segued and changed. When did you really have a definitive idea of what you wanted to do when you grew up? My last year of college, I recognized two things. <laughs> I recognized that the band directors and the football coaches never left campus. <laughs> they were always there. And my other professors, I never saw them <laughs> except for class. So I recognized that to as much as I loved and appreciated having a quality band director, which is so necessary, I couldn't see myself continue to do that for 20 or 30 more years at that level. How old were you when you first really conducted? My first break, let's just call it that, really came uh, when I had an opportunity to conduct at a national church conference. Okay. In the summer convention, they would bring a big musical star to appear with the orchestra and the choir and the musicians there. So one year, the group was that was invited was a group called the Winans, and they were, and are they were huge, uh, and they were huge then and just coming on the scene. So my job then was to take one of their hits, or two or three of their hits, and rewrite their hits for them to appear with the orchestra. It almost didn't happen because they didn't make rehearsal. They didn't want to perform with us, you know, and mess them up with that large of an audience. But they acquiesced and, and did it. And it was such an amazing hit. Crowd went crazy. The arrangements they loved. The, the orchestra was on choir. And they basically said two things. Uh, we love the work. If we ever get a chance to work together again, we'd love to work with you. Okay. Two months later, they get a phone call from Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones signs them to a record label, his record label. Mm -hmm. I get the phone call to arrange that record. And the album wins two Grammys. Wow. So that kind of propelled me into having opportunities on both ends to conduct classically, to conduct pop music. And, I, and, and again, it all goes back to the fact that as a young musician, I sincerely loved all genres of music. That led to the list of artists that I have had a chance to work with. And of course, the 20, now I think 28 year uh, association I've had as Stevie Wonder's conductor and arranger. So I think another key moment was when the Alabama Symphony uh, folded here in the mid 90s. And I was asked to conduct uh, the temporary orchestra. So we did about 10 performances a year here. Uh, but, 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 you know, the key to being able to conduct with Stevie all over the world and some of the most important orchestras in the world from the Royal Philharmonic in London to the Tokyo Philharmonic and 
Tokyo, of course, uh, Gutenberg Symphony, Orchestra Perry. I mean, just places and where I, I looked at some of these orchestras and and they were just like the epitome of orchestral classical music. So Stevie Wonder is one of the biggest names of all time in music. How do you get in touch with him to be his guy? I know, isn't that crazy? That's a question I get all the time. I was in my studio at UAB and the secretary calls over. She said, you just got a phone call from Stevie Wonder. And he said, he called you back. I said, come on, <laughs> don't play with me. <laughs> uh, and uh, true enough, later on that day, he did call. And he said, I've, I have a few numbers I'd like you to arrange. And I don't know whether it was Quincy Jones or somebody else who had told him about me by this point. He sends them out on CD. And I said, well, what do you want, Mr. Wonder? You know, how, what, what, what do you want? He said, just write them do an orchestral arrangement and when you finished i'll call you and you know we'll maybe we'll rehearse we'll, whatever about a month later uh he said so how's it going and i said it's going great he said can you be out here in a week i said in a week he said yeah i want to rehearse the numbers we were frantically and they were not just numbers there were 14 numbers i had to write so i go out there thinking that okay he's either gonna like these and say you know, thank you very much, and I'll have a memento or something to tell my my, my grandkids. Or he's going to say, thank you very much. <laughs> Put me on a plane and send me <laughs> back to Birmingham. So I get out there, and so I go into the rehearsal room, and we're rehearsing, and I'm, and I'm asking, well, who's conducting? And he said, no, you conduct your pieces. They didn't know I was a conductor, but come to find out that Paul Reiser was there, and they asked me to conduct his things. I go, well, well, where is he? And I, they pointed him out. I said, oh my God, Paul Rouse is over there, Stevie through the glass, all these LA musicians. So I go in to sit down with Stevie after, after rehearsal, you know, playing along, and he's playing along with it, and the band's on the other side of the glass. And he said, you know, really like that. Stevie's gonna come by your hotel room later tonight. I said, okay, so true enough, by the time I get back to my hotel room, I go in and there's a whole setup of keyboards and com computers <laughs> and about 2 a.m. Stevie shows. He said, I got some other stuff I want you to listen to. I want you to think about arranging this. So we're sitting there, I called my wife. I said, you won't believe this. Stevie Wonder's in my little hotel room. His bodyguard's sitting on the, on the other double bed and he's sitting on one double bed. We're sitting here, you won't believe this. So she said, no, I don't believe it. So I put him on the phone, talk to her. <laughs> so um, we was, we're sitting there talking. I'm trying to sort music. I said, I, said, I have a plane to catch by eight o'clock in the morning. He said, oh, don't worry, we'll take you to the airport. He said, let me ask you. He said, you know, I have this little tour that's coming up. Um, would you like to go and conduct? I said, sure, I, uh, you know, I, when is it? He said, uh, in two weeks. <laughs> I said, where is it? He said, in Europe. I said, For how long? You've been going a month. <laughs> so I, of course, I was teaching at the time and they worked it out, uh, the UAB and Stevie's people. And I go to Europe now thinking that would be truly now my opportunity to kind of have some really nice stories and maybe photos to tell my folks uh, and family and friends. And that was supposed to be a three-year tour. 
And that has turned into now 28 years, 28 years, I think it is. That's just incredible. That I mean, been... th three decades <laughs> with one of the icons of the industry. You obviously developed a friendship. What's he like away from music behind the scenes so that nobody can see? Uh, he is really uh, an amazing individual and in all sincerity. Uh, I think that having someone like Stevie early on to, you know, to work with any star as it were. And I think one of the things that should not be overlooked that I should say, you know, we gave Stevie an honorary doctorate at UAB. I was going to ask about that because if I'm not mistaken, you were very instrumental in him receiving that. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I worked on Stevie for a year I, I, to try to get him to come and do it, uh, to come and do a concert and, and receive an honorary doctorate, you know, and someone like Stevie gets, I don't know, hundreds of requests every week to do this and that. But I was with him every day. And so I'll never forget it. We were in Tel Aviv at, at dinner. And I said, Stevie, I've been asking you about coming to UAP to get this honorary doctorate and do a, a concert. And he said, all right, Henry, I'll do it. And fortunately, all the, the makers, shakers and makers in his team were around the table. And I pointed to him. I said, you see, he just said it. So we got on it. You know, I call UAB and UAB got on it. And we came here, did an honorary, did a concert. He did a, uh, spoke at the commencement. We did a, a benefit concert. And we have a scholarship in his name that's endowed in Stevie's name. And since it's, uh, inception, I think we maybe have given out 40 or 50 wow. scholarship music in Stevie Wonder Music Technology Scholarship. So he's, he's Stevie Wonder, what can I say? You have worked with tremendous names and we, we talked a little bit about it. I mean, obviously Stevie, but Chet Akins, Aretha Franklin, Carrie Underwood, uh, Blind Boys of Alabama, Shaka Khan. I mean, the, the list just goes on and on and on. Let's remove Stevie, who's the favorite one that you've worked with. Wow. Now, I hadn't, I've never been asked that. Um, it's really, really very hard. Uh, I have favorites for different reasons. Uh, in the gospel genre, I would have to say the Clark sisters. Uh, in the jazz world, uh, you know, how can I not like the Marsalises? But I also know the historical significance of the Lionel Hampton Orchestra and Lionel Hampton, you know. That's, I've never really thought about it the way you're asking me. And so it's kind of hard to think about a favorite. On the flip side, since you have worked with so many different artists, is there one artist you've never worked with that you've just wanted to collaborate with? I can't just think right now of an artist that I would say that, ha, I never worked with them and I really would like to. There's a long list of artists that mm -hmm. I would, I'm looking forward to having an opportunity to work with. Um, so that's kind of it. I, I'll, I'll give some thought to that. I, you know, I'll, I'll give some thought to that. Because uh, I'm sure there are. <laughs> <laughs> That's Dr. Henry Panyon. Dr. Panyon is the University Professor of Music at UAB and Director of Music Technology. He has won Grammys, is a member of the Alabama Jazz Hall of Fame, and a highly respected musician. In December 2020, Dr. Panyon was named Artistic Director of the Opening and Closing Ceremonies of the 2022 World Games in Birmingham. 
With his roots in Birmingham and a longtime member of the UAB community, Dr. Panyon has a great idea of what it means to be a Blazer. To me, I know we know the fight song and the alma mater, but um, the things I think about are when I came to UAB thinking I'd be at UAB one year. At that time, we had a very, very small music program. And I'll never forget, at that time, Scotty McCallum was president. And Scotty said to me, Henry, if you stick around, we will uh, really build a program. And at that time, we had one or two ensembles. And to see where we are now, to go from where we were with no places to perform, to now have five concert halls that our musicians can perform in, to have three or four full-time faculty and one or two part-time, to now have 21 or so full-time, about 40 adjunct faculty, many of those faculty members being in the symphony, to have award-winning faculty who are colleagues of mine, and for me to see that happen in my career, because I've been at UAB since graduate school, and to see that growth, and there is a word, and that word is entrepreneurial. And that word, when I think about a blazer, I think about a can-do attitude. You can listen in on the UAB Green and Told podcast wherever you are. It's easy. Just subscribe to it on Spotify and iTunes or visit alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold. When you listen, leave us a review. We'd love to know how we're doing. Have an idea for a potential guest? Email me at greenandtold at uab.edu. Finally, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for at UAB alumni. Thanks for listening. And until next time, go Blazers.